The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. And now we're together. Would you stand to your feet if you're able to this morning? I love seeing all y'all walking in and the sun is shining on our faces and thinking about how the prophets of Israel this morning, they dreamed of this day when the nations would gather into the house of God and they would say, come, let us worship the Lord, not just ethnic Israel, not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's kids, but all of us beyond ethnic Israel, that we would come and that we would look at Yahweh God and we would say, he's our God too. That's the God of all the earth. And it just, whew, just every time we come in for worship, that is what's happening. The great prophetic dreams are coming true. The nations are pouring in and they're saying, come, let us learn his ways. Let us walk in his paths. We want him to teach us how to live. And so this morning, family of God, would you just open your hands like this? We're here. And the reason that I have you do this when we gather in for worship is to remember that our worship is not self-generated. You know what I mean? Like we don't come in just be, okay, I had an amazing week and I'm gonna get this thing done. Or you might be coming here this morning and you're just like, I had an absolute disaster of a week and I don't have anything to get. The only way that we can offer God the worship that he's due is if God himself comes in us and enables us. We welcome the Holy Spirit right from the get-go. And so lift up your hands just like this. And you're just receiving all that God can give this morning. Stretch them out to the heavens. Not in like a timid posture of like, I just need a little bit, but like open your body up, open your spirit up, open your mind up. And we just say that we need you, God. We need you, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. We say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fall upon us? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us? Holy Spirit, would you come and put praise on our lips this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and dispel the clouds of sin and sadness? Holy Spirit, wherever we're feeling dark, wherever we're feeling despair, wherever we're feeling anxious this morning, we pray that you would blow all of that away. Holy Spirit, come. Would you say that this morning, church? Say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We pray this morning that we would be able to worship you in spirit that we would worship you in truth. We ask that this morning that Christ Jesus would be established again in our midst and that we would be established in him. We ask that we would be filled to overflowing with the love of God that comes to us by way of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that the Father heart of God would settle upon each of us and that we'd know again how secure we are in God's love. Grant that we're asking. May the words of our mouths, the praise of our mouths, O oh God, and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Hey, would you welcome Victor Mendoza, guest leading worship from New Life North with us. We love Victor. Let's worship together.
our hope. The Lord reigns. So let his people rejoice. Let the church rejoice that the Lord reigns above all things. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? All right, come on. We taught this song to you guys last week. Let's sing it together. We have. We have this confidence in Jesus. His blood has brought us into
that bridge together one more time. What could come against the love of Jesus? Who would dare stand in his way? There is no power that can hold back Jesus. He's here to say. Yeah. He's here Sing to that say. one more time. What can what could come against the love That's beautiful. Come on. Who would dare stand in his There is no power that can hold Jesus. He's here to save. He's here to save. He's here. He's here to save. said that it's good to sing and to make music to the Lord. I believe it's not just good for us, but we need it. We need to sing. We need to lift our eyes to the one in whom our help comes from. With what's going on in the nations around the world, wars and upheavals, what's going on in our nation, our communities, our families, our own lives, we need to sing. We need to be in the presence of God with the people of God, singing the high praises of God. So as we go deeper into worship, I just want to read Psalm 46 over us. We all know what's been going on in Israel, wars, these upheavals. And a friend of ours read this over the New Life East volunteers, and I thought it was good for us to hear today. So if you want to, you can close your eyes, open your hands. Let's continue in our worship as we meditate on Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. <laughs> the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease, do it, Lord. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. And this is what he says. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come on, can we say that a few times together as a church? The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. Come on, for those who have fear and anxiety about your own life, what's going on in the world, take a deep breath in. 
that the Lord Almighty is with us. Thank you, God. You're with us, God. We'll be still and know that you are God in this place. You are my strength. I am weak. You are the treasure that I see.
And if you've been redeemed, sing the song forever to the Lamb. And if you walk in freedom, and if you bear His name, we'll sing the song forever to the Lamb. You'll sing the song forever to the man. Angels cry, holy humiliation. because it's a picture of what will happen someday in eternity when we find ourselves, that we will just find ourselves generation after generation singing holy forever, staring at the face of God, seeing him for who he is. And the picture of that is that it won't just be like you and I, it will be generations who have come before us and it will be generations who come after us. And, and that's a reminder of why we do something like child dedications here at New Life East 
is that the faith that we hold is not just our own. It's faith that we are trying to hand off to the next generation, but it's also that we would like to be the kind of parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles who care and steward the kids that are before us. So we're going to have a couple of families come up this morning, the Fishers and the Hamiltons. If you guys want to join me on stage, we're going to dedicate Ashlyn Fisher and Christine Hamilton. Friends, can you give them a round of applause as they step up here today? When we do this, we're dedicating these kids with these parents. You guys can scoot towards the middle a little bit. We're dedicating these kids and we're standing with parents in solidarity saying that we want to raise our kids in a way that best embody, you're cute, best embody what it means to parent with the gospel in mind. So church, you are also an active part of this. You're going to join with us. So a couple of things. There are going to be some words on the screen. Church, I'm going to start with you. So I ask you, will you as the church family commit to surround these children with love, grace, and truth of the body of Christ? Good job. Next, next question for you all. Will you stand with them in prayer? Speak the truth and love into their lives. Serve them in humility and encourage them in the word of God. And church, I ask you one last question. Will you receive them as a blessing from the Lord to be instructed, protected, and blessed in the fellowship of believers? Okay, now parents, these questions 16. are for you. Okay, ready? Good. Thumb, okay, great. Let's go. Parents, the church receives these children with joy. And today we are trusting God for their growth in faith. So I ask, will you pray for them? Draw them by your example into the community of faith and walk with them in the way of Christ. Good job. Parents, will you take care of them and help them to take, care, take their place within the life and worship of Christ's church? All right, and little ones up here, we speak this over you. For you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried at the last, it is accomplished. For you, he triumphed over death and rose to new life. For you, he reigns at God's hand. All this he did for you, though you do not know it yet. Church, would you say with me, amen. Colin and Andrew, I want to invite you guys to come up here as we pray over these families. Church, would you extend a hand this way as well? I was thinking while we were worshiping just a little bit ago, that song, All in All. I've been singing that song since I was young. And I was thinking about how the older you get, the more true it gets, you know, that God's your all in all. And you know what faith is? Faith is not like an intellectual ascent to a bunch of stuff, but faith is like pushing all your chips in the middle of the table with God. And here's the great news about it. Paul says that no matter how many promises God has made, every single one of them is yes in Christ. And that includes promises about our kids. 
And I don't think that we ever feel more vulnerable in our lives than when we have little ones. God, pushing our chips in the middle of the table. And we know the bet is a good bet because Jesus is raised. And so church, you got your hands extended towards these families. I wanna say something to you about what we're doing in this moment, that when we're marking them here with oil, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're not sort of guessing, you know what I mean? Or lobbing a wish at God. What we're doing is this is the act of God making good his word for these children right now and forever. God is claiming these kids. Jesus says that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Right now we're binding them to the kingdom of God. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And right now we are loosing off of their lives every single strategy of darkness. And so Ashlyn, you are marked in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And Christine, you are marked in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And we say that all of the promises of God are true over these two little girls, that all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great shall be their peace and undisturbed composure. So says the prophet Isaiah, I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. And so we say of these little girls that no strategy of the evil one will prevail over their lives. We say over these little girls that they are knit already into the fabric of Christ Jesus. We say over these little girls that faith is rising in their hearts even now. We say over these little girls that gifts of the Holy Spirit are being given to them even now. We say over these little girls that they are the head and not the tail, that they are above and not beneath, that the enemies that come at them from one direction will flee in seven, that their basket and their kneading trough and all the work of their hands will be blessed. We say of these little girls that the gates of hell will not prevail against them. They are the church. They are the future of the church, and the church is in good hands. And so we pray blessing upon them. We pray blessing upon moms and upon dads. We ask that these homes would be bastions for the kingdom of God. We pray that every fruit of the Spirit would be there in Jesus' name. And we pray that you would give these parents the presence of mind to cast from their midst every work of darkness. All malice, all anger, all bitterness, all unforgiveness, all hatred, may it be cast from the midst. And we pray that you would establish them in purity and in righteousness and in the fear of the Lord. Grant all these things, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can you give these families a hand one more time? Friends, I don't know if you know this, we're doing child dedications here at New Life East today, but it's baptism weekend at some of our other New Life congregations. I got to be at New Life Friday night this past Friday, where Friday night baptized 22 people and New Life North is going to baptize probably 18,000 people or some ridiculous number of people. And and Manitou and downtown and all these things, they're like child dedications, baptisms are all these moments where we mark that people are being drawn into the kingdom of God. And that this weekend specifically is happening all over New Life Church. And I tell you that to say that when you give of your tithes and your offerings here at New Life, you're not just giving to like make sure that there's a stage set up and there's sound and there's a screen. Like you are giving to the life change of people 
You are giving to generation after generation, being invited and drawn into the kingdom of God. You're being given to adults who are reconciling their lives with their creator and stepping into the waters of baptism. So thank you so much for your generosity. It does not go unnoticed by us. And I promise you, it does not go unnoticed by the people who are experiencing the love of God because of it. So if you wanna continue to partner with us, there's multiple ways that you can give, whether it's here in person or online, or if you're old fashioned and you send a check, there's all sorts of ways that you can join with us in generosity. But for those of you that do, we just wanna say thank you. You have partnered with us and you have, you have helped the love of God be poured out into the city of Colorado Springs. So thank you so much. If you're a guest with us today, we're also so glad that you've joined us. There's a QR code that's gonna be on screen. If you're brave enough to take out your phone and scan it and say, hey, I'm a guest, I would love to get to know a little bit more about this place. Or if you're not that courageous and don't wanna extend your phone up into the middle of the air, you can stop by an area called Connect Central. We have a gift for you. Some of our volunteers and pastors would love to say uh, hello and say thank you for being a part of a weekend here at New Life East. Now, before we open up the scriptures and hear uh, a message, I don't know if it's going to be great. I haven't heard it yet. So there will be a sermon. Um, Andrew will preach. Uh, before we do that, why don't you take a second to, to turn and say good morning to someone around you. you. Hello, 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 hello. Let me invite you to grab your seat. Good to see you this morning. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Rory for that. With that, I'm not going to say all of my wildest dreams have come true, but so many. Whenever I go up and I preach at New Life North, you know, they'll get done with like this epic set of worship, and then the worship leader will be like, and we have Pastor Andrew Arn from New Life East, and he's got an amazing message for us. And I always go like, that's just like, a, you don't know that yet. I've never delivered this message before. But I tell you, this is what I can promise you. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to try to say some things that are true things about it. And so Pastor Rory, with that, like, set the bar low. It can only go north from here. So good. I, some, uh, just some honesty from my heart to you, man, I... I, still, I have this experience so often on the front row of worshiping with you here on Sunday mornings and just being more grateful than I could ever tell you for what the Lord is doing in our midst. And I look around at this room and I look at the strength that is rising in our midst and I think about the stories that we have come to share. Do you know that it was four falls ago that we were starting to pull launch teams together for the process of planting New Life East? And I look back over the last four years and this being part of this congregation, leading this congregation for us was the story that we were not expecting. It wasn't anything that we were looking for. And somehow here it is. And it's made our lives in so many ways. 
And I was up in Michigan this past week. I'm working on a doctor of ministry degree uh, through Western Theological Seminary up there. And my doctoral project that I'm working on is really a reflection on the life, congregational life through the eyes of a pastor, through the lens of the story of Jesus. How does the story of Jesus shape what it means to be a congregation? And I have, I just want you to know this, I have so much to say about that and I have so many stories to tell because you're an extraordinary people in New Life East. And I can't tell you how privileged and how honored I feel just to be part of this congregation. So I'm not expecting anything back from you on that, but just hear my gratitude for it. And also I'm so looking forward to the years to come and what the Lord is gonna do uh, with us in the next bunch of years. What is he going to make out of us as a congregation? And on that note, some of you uh, will remember that earlier this year, we had a family uh, meeting uh, right here in the gymnasium. It was back in May before I went on sabbatical, where I talked about, um, you know, like we've been in Grand Peak Academy for the three and a half years that we've been a congregation, and it's been a good home for us. But this is not for us. This is not the final destination. We really believe that at some point in the future, God wants to have us to have permanent space on the east side of the city. And there was a potential building opportunity that came available to us earlier this year, but we weren't able to move on it because we didn't have the cash on hand to be able to pull it off. And so I said at that family meeting that one of the things I just felt like after that kind of missed opportunity, I felt like, man, I never want that to happen again for us as a congregation. I want us to always be in a position where when the Lord presents us with a strategic opportunity, we can jump on it. And so one of the things I said at that meeting was that later this year, we would open up basically a fund that we would start to seed together with special offerings as a congregation so that when those strategic opportunities come up, we're able to move. And so I know a lot of you, here we are mid-October, the year is coming in for a landing. A lot of you do some really intentional planning as you get to the end of the year around year-end giving and what that's gonna look like. God, I just want you to know here at New Life East, we will have a special offering in the month of December uh, where we will begin to contribute to that fund and start raising a stockpile of cash so that we're ready to move uh, on strategic opportunities. And what I wanna challenge you with, I'm gonna talk about giving a little bit this morning in my sermon. But what I wanna challenge you, what I wanna challenge us as a congregation with is 100% participation on that. 100% participation. And there are some of you in this room that God has blessed you so much and you have deep, deep pockets and you have significant strength and you are able to write big checks that help churches like us get where we need to go. Please be generous and be sacrificial in your approach. But there are others of you, and I know this because I know you, that your backs are against the wall financially and giving for you is a huge challenge. But I just want to challenge you. We're going to see this in the text this morning, that even if you give just the little bit that you can, I promise you that it hooks you into the economy of God and God will bless you and our strength as a congregation will rise. So I want you in your prayer life and your devotional life as you're searching your heart before the Lord as we come in for a landing on the year, I want you to just begin to hold those things before the Lord. We'll announce when that Sunday is going to be, but it'll be a special offering in December where we begin to begin to seed that fund. Sound good? I need you to, yeah? All right. Great. Thank you. You can take my pastoral anxieties over talking about money and push them down by your... Nice. Thank you. Let's open uh, the scriptures to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. I have two big things that I kind of want to say uh, to you this morning. We know the story of kings up to this point. Pastor Rory preached a great message last week on one of the good kings that kind of comes up during the interim period. 
uh, between, uh, between the death of Solomon and the end of the book of 1 Kings. And as we know, once Solomon dies, the kingdom splits into two. So you have the northern kingdom uh, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And basically from that point forward, you have a succession of not very good kings. Now we'll see every once in a while that there are some decent kings that rise up. Asa is a good example of that who try to be faithful to the way of David, their father. But for the most part, the kingdom is really spinning. So you have this fractured kingdom spinning out of control. And the big question that Kings is going to present to us through the end of the book is like, does, is God still in charge here? And if God still is in charge, what does that look like? Does, like, does God still reign over Israel? Does he still reign over the nations? With that, hear the word of the Lord from 1 Kings 17. Scripture says, now Elijah, I'm going to read the whole chapter here. Uh, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. I love that. He's a Tishbite. Where's he from? Tishbe, duh. In Gilead, he said to Ahab, the Bible just cracks me up sometimes, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. Uh, He said to Ahab, Ahab is one of the very wicked kings. We're going to learn about him in a second. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. And you're going to drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens there to supply you with food. So he did exactly what the Lord told him to do, and he went to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So then the word of the Lord, we keep hearing this refrain, okay, like the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, it's very important came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there, for I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her, and he asked, would you bring me a little water and a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. And as surely as the Lord your God lives, so she knows about Yahweh, the God of Israel, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm just gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Like, we're at the end of the line here, man. And now you're going to ask me for a drink of water and bread? Get real, bro. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Do you know, by the way, that is the most often repeated commandment in all of Scripture? It's not like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't do this, don't do that. You know, the most often repeated command in all of Scripture. And if you hear nothing else this morning in church, maybe you need to hear the voice of the living God just saying to you, don't be afraid. Like, I know that your back is against the wall, and I know that things are difficult, and I know that you don't know the way forward, and I know everything seems impossible right now, and I know that you've got enemies crouching at the gate, don't be afraid, Elijah says to her. But just go home and do what you've said. But first, everybody say first. First, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, that the jar of flour will not be used up And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and she did like Elijah told her. And there was food every day. Everybody say food every day. Food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil didn't run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill and he grew worse and worse. And finally he stopped breathing. He died. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my, of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. So he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on the bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. 
And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and he said, look, your boy's alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. So let's pray. We came here because we needed to hear a word from the Lord. We came here because we needed an encounter with the presence of God. We came here today because we needed to be reminded of the truth. And already our service is 45 minutes old. You have begun to do that. You have drawn us into the presence of God. You are reminding us of the truth of God. You are teaching us again the ways of God. I'm praying this morning, as I've prayed so many times over so many services, I'm asking that the miracle of Pentecost would take place this morning. Not just that the Spirit would be poured out upon us, but that the effect of the Spirit of being poured out would take place, namely that each one of us would hear the wonders of God declared in our native languages. You know what we need to hear this morning. And so I pray that you would take the words of the preacher and the words of these scriptures, and I pray that you would translate them to each hearer this morning in a language that makes sense to them, so that faith might be provoked, so that obedience to God might be provoked, so that the body of Christ might come into full fruition in the earth. Teach us your ways, we pray, that we may walk in your paths. We're looking to you. We say, may the words of our mouths this morning and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, some texts of Scripture uh, teach you and some texts of Scripture provoke you. And I think that other texts of Scripture, they just dazzle you again with the wonder of God. And this to me is one of those texts of Scripture where everything is spinning out of control in Israel and all of a sudden we meet this man, Elijah, and there is dazzlement upon dazzlement upon dazzlement. Wonder upon wonder of the living God showing up in the midst. And this is a dark time in Israel. We've mentioned this a couple times already, but we read just one chapter earlier of this King Ahab who comes uh, on the scene here in Israel. The scripture says in verse 29 of chapter 16 that in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Judah, and he reigned over Samaria, over Israel, 22 years. And Ahab, son of Omri, he did, what does the text say? More evil, this is a dark time, in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Jeroboam set up basically a shadow religion that was an idolatrous religion. So, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he, Ahab did, began to serve Baal and worship him. He even set up an altar to Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So now we have an Israelite king that is not just like kind of, I've set up, you know, like Solomon did. Solomon set up some shrines and he kind of had some false worship going on over here, but he stayed faithful for the most part to Yahweh. Ahab is like, I'm not doing any of that. Like I'm just out and out worshiping Baal. I am out and out worshiping Ashtoreth. I am marrying Jezebel, who's a daughter of the king of the Sidonians. They're like our avowed, the avowed enemies of Israel. Like he just gives the whole kit and caboodle away. And the whole question that the book of 1 Kings poses to us is that is Yahweh the true God? 
And will his word actually prevail in and over Israel, which is why we get what we get in 1 Kings 17, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. It's the author of 1 Kings' way of saying that the word of the Lord, even when Israel is being profoundly disobedient, the word of the Lord will always prevail in Israel. And there are now, with the emergence of Elijah in Israel, we have like the challenge has been set up. Does Yahweh actually prevail over Israel? Is he the Lord of the nations? Or are the gods of the nations, are they as powerful as Yahweh? And there are two ways in this text that Yahweh shows himself to be the true God. Number one, I'm going to say this to you. This is two things that I'm going to put in front of you, and then we're going to pray together as a church family and come to the table. I want to say to you this morning that the one who keeps our bellies full is the true God. The one who keeps our bellies full is the true God. There is a famine throughout the region and Elijah, while everybody else is like starving to death, Elijah's eating, isn't he? So over there by the brook in the Kirith Ravine and there are ravens bringing him bread and meat in the morning and water to drink. Elijah has enough. Why? Because he's connected to Yahweh. The one who keeps our bellies full is the true God. And when the brook dries up, he goes to the widow in the region of Sidon. Sidon is the place from which Jezebel comes. (laughs) That's the place where Baal is worshipped. Baal traditionally was kind of a fertility god. And Ashtoreth, as we learned a couple weeks ago, was a fertility deity. And yet here in Sidon, where you have the fertility god and you have the fertility goddess, here in Sidon, everybody is languishing and dying. And yet the prophet Elijah comes to this woman and she's gathering a few sticks and she said, I'm just, we're going to, I'm going to make a little loaf of bread for me and my son, and we are going to die. And Elijah, who represents Yahweh, makes his way into her little world and says, hey, could you feed me too? Just go and do exactly what you're saying, but just bring me a little bit of that first. And I promise you that the jug of oil will not run out and that your flour will not run dry until the Lord sends rain throughout the land. And sure enough, it happens. Yahweh, listen to me steps into the region of Baal and Ashtoreth and says, you want to know who the true fertility God is? It's me. I am the one who feeds people. And you need look no further than Yahweh for all of your material needs. You'll remember it from two weeks ago when I preached it. Psalm 81 and verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. What does the text say? Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And the woman brings bread and she brings drink to Elijah. And that very thing happens. She is provided for. Friends, the one who keeps our bellies full is the true God. I'm wondering if we trust that. Mandy and I have been following Jesus our whole lives and we have learned how to trust that over and over and over again. And we have been in so many situations where our backs, like your backs, have been against the wall financially, and we did not know what to do. And so we surrendered ourselves to God and gave ourselves over again to the life of obedience, what the scripture commends to us, that we should prioritize the needs of others, that we should prioritize the house of God, and somehow God has always provided for us. I remember when we were in seminary in our early 20s, I remember we had a whole pile of bills that came in. It was just one of those financial moments where you're like, oh God Almighty, how are we going to do this? 
And I remember looking at our bank account and we laid, I don't know if you remember this, baby, but we laid all of our bills out on the kitchen table to just kind of like get a picture of like, what are we facing here? And I remember looking at all those bills and thinking about how much money we had in our bank account and thinking, this is impossible. Like, this is the moment. We'd only been married a few years at that point, And you know, you're always kind of afraid when you first get married. They're like, I, don't, I think we can do it, but can we do it? And maybe this is the month now where we like run out of money, you know, and we wind up on the street or something like that. I just always was like afraid of that. I remember thinking about the money that we had in the bank and the bills that we had. And then I, I remember being in prayer the next morning and I had overheard that there was a guy in a class at the seminary uh, one of, in one of my classes that him and his family were also facing really significant financial hardship. And I sensed the prompting of the Lord that morning, I need you to give them $50. And you got to understand, like, we're living in, like, we're, like, make no money, and we're living in Chicago, and Chicago is super expensive, and we had, like, no money. And so for the Lord to say to us, like, you need to give $50, like, you might as well have said just, like, sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. $50, what 50? We don't have $50. And I remember we took $50 out of our checking account, and I had it in my pocket one morning in the class. And when my classmate wasn't looking, he walked up, actually, he asked the professor a question, and I walked over to his books, and I slid that $50 into his books, and I just said, God, this is like my sowing into their lives. Please take care of them, and also, God, we need you. And by the way, we had not shared with anybody about our financial needs, and within one week, remember, we went down into our mailbox, and we opened up the mailbox, and there was an unmarked envelope in there, and we opened it up, and there was a visa, I think it was a $200 visa gift card to be used on anything that we want. We had not shared a, with a soul about our financial need. But somehow it's like Jesus says, would you just like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And do you remember what will happen? you remember what Jesus says? All these, all these things. Like, like I know it feels really scary to you to give away this strength that you have, but do you trust that I have your back? God has never failed us. And all throughout the years, I remember when we were planting a church in Denver, trying to get a church off the ground in this urban area. We were reaching people that were very skeptical, institutionally skeptical, not very prone to give. And we might have had 150 people in our church, but we had very, like, very insignificant financial strength. And from month to month to month, it was always so challenging. We wondered, every single month we wondered if the church was going to make enough money to just give us even, even like a modicum of a paycheck. And there were so many months where all, like, we'd get down to the end of the month and all we'd have left is, like, a little bit of peanut butter and some milk and a jug and maybe a loaf of bread. And, and, and you're looking again at the bills and just wondering. And all through that season, we still would tithe to the church. And by the way, that just felt absurd to me. <laughs> it's like, God, I'm like, I'm like the biggest bill that the church has right now. And I'm tithing to the church. And it's like a money laundering operation. Like, what is? But also, it's just, like, ridiculous. Why don't I just keep this money? You know, like it's going to give. Jesus has given it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, a greater measure poured into your lap. And we would do that even, th- even in the hardest times. And we did not know how we were going to feed our children. We would write the tithe check. And I, month after month after month, it was like we would need $3,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 just to make the bills. And somebody would come to one of our services and they would drop a check and the, they would drop a check in the offering and it was somebody that we'd never, people that we'd never seen before, people whose names we didn't know, 
Folks, we had no concept of who they are, where they're coming from, where they're going. The writer of Hebrews talks about sometimes when you entertain people in your midst, you're entertaining angels unawares. Maybe that's what, what that was. But we never went hungry. And we never went thirsty. And all these years, God has always taken care of us. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Have they been through hard times? Oh, you better believe it. Have they had their backs against the wall? Oh, you better believe it. Have they been through times where it was like, I don't know what's going to happen and what's God going to do? Absolutely. But I've never seen them forsaken because the one who pledges himself to them in the covenant is the one who says, never will I leave you. Never will I. And tithing, guys, giving is one of the ways that we do that. Do you know that? We say that we trust God. We say that we believe in God. And I said earlier in the service that faith is not just sort of an intellectual assent to the propositions. It is that. It's certainly that. It's certainly we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. It's certainly we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. It's certainly we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. But it's more than that. It's not just saying that those things are true and agreeing with them mentally. It's committing yourself to it with your body. I've often said that faith is like there is like this. You see me leaning on the edge of the platform here. Faith is not like, well, I I believe that if I jump off the platform, there's something there to catch me. Faith is like shifting your weight beyond the safe place right into the arms of God. And that is what tithing does. That tithing is the way with our strength. We can say that we have faith in God all that we want, but then we hold on to our little hoard of cash, our little stash of money, And remember what Martin Luther said, I shared this a couple weeks ago, that whatever you hang your heart on is your God. Some of you, your checking account is your God. Some of you, your savings account is your God. Some of you, your 401k is your God. Some of you, your investments that you have, that is your God. Some of you, the real estate properties that you have, that is your God. And you have this sort of buoyant confidence in Jesus, but what it really is is a confidence about how much money that you have. And the scriptures challenge us. Do you actually trust God with your money? And the only way that we know if that's true, the only way that God knows that's true, is if you push your chips to the middle of the table with him. That's what tithing is. Malachi says it. Malachi 3 and verse 10. The prophet says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then what does the Lord say here? It's the only time in Scripture, it's the only time in Scripture, we are actually explicitly commanded in Deuteronomy to not test the Lord our God. And that's from the mouth of God himself. Don't you test me. Don't you test me. I'm not underneath you that I need to be put to the test. You're underneath me that you need to be put to the test. But here, God goes out of his way to say, test me in this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food where? Where? What's the tithe for? The tithe is primarily to strengthen the house of God, like Rory was saying. That what we're doing is we're bringing strength into the house of God and it's causing strength to rise so that ministry can flow out, so that we can take care of widows and orphans in their distress, so that we can engineer ministries that take care of people that are on the fringes, so that we can do all the things that God has called us to do. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then the Lord says, test me in this and see if what? 
if I will not, church, let's say it together, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Think about what happens when we tithe. That the Lord not only sees strength built in the house of God so that the name of Jesus is lifted up, so that the Spirit goes out to those that need it, but also the promise of the Scriptures is that those who give the tithe also find blessing. That somehow what's happening is they're being hooked into the strength of God. And some of you have never tithed before in your entire lives because nobody ever told you that you needed to. It's not an optional matter of Christian discipleship. It's one of the things that was in the small print when you got baptized. (laughs) That what we do is financial stewardship is like discipleship. It's part of how we... It's part of how we surrender our strength to King Jesus. And I want to just challenge some of you to begin tithing, to test God in this, to see if it's true. Oh, but pastor, my back is against the wall. And I, I look at, listen, listen, I've been intending to tithe. I've been intending to give, but it's really difficult and it's really complicated right now. And I'm just kind of waiting to the point where, I, you know, I've got things a little bit more in order and that's when I'm going to start to give. Let me just, I'm going to pop that bubble for you right now. Okay, I haven't lived like a super long time, but I'm not a kid either. I'm 42 years old. I'm telling you that there will never, ever, ever be a time in your life where you go, we made it. We're good. No concerns, no fears, no worries, none of that. I guess I'm going to start tithing now. If you don't start tithing now, you will never do it. There's never a convenient time to do it. Like there's never a convenient time to have kids. It's just one of those things that's like inherently risky. But what does the Lord say? Say it, church. And the bet on God is a good bet. Just telling you that. And I could line up dozens of saints in this room right now that would tell you the same thing that they've been tithing their whole lives, tithing and beyond tithing. And they would tell you, betting on God is a real good bet. The Lord says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be what? Food in my house. Strengthens the house of God. I was doing a little math this week. You want something that's really fun and interesting? If you take the average income of a household in Colorado Springs... And you multiply that by the number of families that call New Life East home. And then you times that by 10, the tenth of it. Do you know what our annual income as a congregation would be? $2.3 million a year. You know what our operating budget right now is? It's a million bucks a year. So do you know what that means? That if we just did our discipleship in one year, we would have $1.3 million in the bank without having to open up a special fund or do a campaign without even breaking a sweat And that's saying nothing, by the way, of going over and above the tithe. You've heard me say this before, that some people will say, well, you know, Pastor, I don't know about the tithe. I think that the tithing is an Old Testament principle that has been outmoded by, you know, the New Covenant. Okay. Have you read the New Testament? The Old Testament is 10%. You know what it is in the New Testament? 100%. And you know my joke on this, and I'm going to keep telling it because I think it's funny. Maybe pick one and be happy about it. (laughs) Will we test God in this? And that's my challenge for you, church.
Will we test God in this? Because what this story tells us is that our God proves that he is the true God by keeping our bellies full. Second thing that I want to say to you, look at me going late again. But I'm going to take us to communion with this one, like real quick, that the one who delivers from death is the true God. That he doesn't just keep us, keep our bellies full, but even when we pass through death, he's the one that rescues us from death. This land that he's in, the land of the Sidonians, one of the gods that they worshiped was the god Mot. That was the god of the underworld. He was the god that controlled death. But apparently Mot couldn't do anything to save this little kid of the woman's. And so when the kid dies, what does Elijah do? Elijah, who's the representative of Yahweh, he goes and he picks up the kid and he lays the kid down on the bed and he stretches himself three times over the kid. It's like this body-to-body contact that, by the way, is a figure of the incarnation. God coming in the person of Jesus and taking our flesh and transmitting life to us. And he cries out to God. And God hears Elijah's cry and restores the boy to life. And he gives him back to the woman. And the woman says this at the end of 1 Kings 17. She says, verse 24, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Why does she say that? Because resurrection happens. The true God is the one who rescues from death. Do you know that God still does that today? Do you know that our God is still present and able to heal even now? Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you believe this, church? Can I tell you a great story? And then we're going to go to the table. We're going to do some praying together. So there's this couple that goes to New Life North on Friday night. Holly and Joseph are their names. And Holly and Joseph got pregnant earlier this year, and they were at about 20 weeks, and they went in for the 20-week ultrasound. And as the ultrasound tech was doing all the checkups, everything looked pretty good, but there was a part of the baby's brain. There was an image that they needed to see that she couldn't see. And she said, hey, no big deal, but I want you to come back a week from now and we'll just like, maybe the baby wasn't in the right position. And so we'll take some new images and we should be able to see it. And so Holly goes back in a week and same thing. They can't find the little part of the brain. She goes back a week later. They schedule a second time to go back. She goes back a week later and they still can't see it. And now the alarm is like really high. And the part of the brain There's not an insignificant part of the brain that this little baby is missing. It's called the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum unites the two hemispheres of the brain so they can talk to one another, controls a great deal of motor function, cognitive function, and even vision and some things like that. It's a huge deal. And Holly is terrified and they set up an MRI for her. We want you to come back one more time and we're going to try to figure out what's going on here. But it was confirmed. Your baby is missing this part of its brain. Holly's at noon prayer at the World Prayer Center. And as she's praying with the people of God that are gathered there, the leader gets up and says, I really think that there's an anointing here for healing today. And if you need healing or somebody that you know needs healing in every way, would you just slip your hand up or come forward and we're going to pray over you. And Holly, who had just come from the ultrasound, that last ultrasound, gets up and she says she's got the picture there. And she goes, she tells the story. And she goes, I want you to know this right here, this is my baby, and my baby's name is Asher. She winds up naming the baby when her husband is out of town. And Asher, by the way, is a Hebrew name that means happy or blessed. She says, this is my son, and his name is Asher, and he is missing a part of his brain, and I'm scared. Would you pray? And the group gathered around her, and they prayed the power of God and the healing of God upon her and upon the life of her baby. And she goes in for the MRI, and they take a new set of images, and the doctor comes back around to her and says, ma'am, I don't know what to tell you, but everything is there. You have a healthy baby on your hand.
Jesus says in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. We know that the true God proves that he's the true God because he delivers us from death because Jesus came on the scene. And he didn't say, I'm just gonna do a couple resurrection miracles. Jesus took the whole miracle of resurrection and wrapped it around himself and he said, I'm here now. Your dying bodies, your broken families, everything that you're worried about with your people, I'm here. I've got you. I'm gonna raise Lazarus from the dead right now and I'm also, when he dies again, I'm gonna raise him up at the end of history. So what do you got to fear? In life and in death, you belong to me. You're safe in my hands because I am the resurrection and the life. Elijah foreshadows that. Jesus is Yahweh and Elijah in one. And wherever Jesus walks, things live. And I wanna invite you this morning, church family, just to stand. We're gonna take communion in a moment here. And this service is, we're 10 after 10 o'clock. So if you have to leave, leave, that's fine. If you need to go get your kids, get your kids. That's all great too. But we got some work to do this morning. I'm gonna invite you to take the hand of the person next to you. And I know, first of all, that there are some significant needs that are represented in our house this morning. There's some of you that you're here and you're in a place of financial hardship, difficulty, your back is against the wall. And so we're gonna offer that up to the Lord. And so with your hands connected with the hands of the person next to you, we're coming together as a statement of our faith and our unity. And we're also, I want you just to squeeze tight the hand of the person next to you. And we're together in this. And so Lord Jesus, I'm praying over all the needs that are represented in this house. I'm praying all the house over all the households that are represented here this morning. God, I'm asking that prosperity, I'm asking that life, I'm asking that blessing would flow upon these households. Everybody right now that got the bill in the mail this week that they don't know how they're going to pay, that the thing is happening in their business and they don't know how they're going to get through, uh, what they took a hit financially somehow, and they're just scared senseless, I'm praying that you would reassure them with your love. God, I'm praying that you would reassure them with the promise of your provision in Jesus' name. Do it, God. We pray for breakthroughs at jobs. We pray for promotions at jobs. We pray for unusual financial opportunities to come along to the people of God. And I pray that every one of those things that comes along, that we would take it as a sign to us that you still care about us, that that you're still for us and not against us. Grant that we pray. And I also pray that you would cause your spirit to awaken faith in us and that you would make us faithful disciples of Jesus Christ with our money. That here we are with our backs against the wall and we don't know what to do. And I pray that by writing the check, by signing up for recurring giving, by giving the sacrificial offering, whatever it is, that we would put our money where our mouth is, that we push our chips to the middle of the table and that we would find that you're the God that says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And I also pray this morning, over all of those that need health in their bodies. And I actually am curious. I know you've got, you're holding hands, but if you need healing in this room or somebody close to you is in need of healing in any way, would you just slip your hand up real high this morning? Do we have any folks? Okay, good. We got a few folks. So real high, real high, lift those hands high so that we can see you. And if you're around these people, would you just lay your hands upon them, church? And so we say, God, hear us. We say, God, hear us. Psalmist says, I called and you answered me. When I said my foot was slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. 
And so I'm praying over knees and I'm praying over backs. I'm praying over minds. I'm praying over internal organs. I'm praying over hearts. I'm praying over chronic conditions. We're saying over all of those things, be healed in Jesus' name. We are claiming the truth of scripture. The Lord, Yahweh God says to his people, I'm the Lord who heals you. You have put your reputation on the line with healing. And so we ask that the healing power of God would be released in this house this morning. Grant this, we pray. In Jesus' name, and one more thing we're going to pray about this morning, church. Most of you that are in this room, Victor mentioned it earlier, but you know that there is a conflict raging in Israel and Palestine this morning, and that touches our lives. We are connected to ethnic Israel. The church grows up out of the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and so we have a stake in what's happening over there. What happens there happens to us. And so I want you now, church family, to extend your hands eastward the direction of that conflict. And so we claim you, Jesus Christ, Son of the Father. We say that you're the one that brings provision in a desolate place. And so we're praying over all of those innocents that are affected by the conflict right now. We pray that you would bring food like you brought food to the widow. We pray that you would bring water like you brought water to the widow. We pray that you would bring medical supplies where they are needed. We pray that you would bring relief. We pray that all of those that are trying to flee Gaza and the West Bank, that they would be able to get out, and all those that are fleeing Israel, that they'd be able to get out. We ask that you would protect the innocent ones, Lord Jesus, and we also say that you're the God of resurrection. And so we pray over this whole conflicted area. We pray over the dead body of this conflict that has raged for millennia. We say, be healed. We say, rise up and walk. We say, you, another place where you put your reputation on the line is in unity on planet Earth. And we pray that there would be unity, unusual unity, for you call yourself the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And so in Israel and in Palestine, we pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done right there in the midst, just like it's done in heaven. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, we lift up bread and cup before you this morning. We acknowledge you to be the one who feeds us and helps us. We acknowledge you to be the one who raises us up from dead. We acknowledge you to be the one who is pierced for our transgressions and punished for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon you. And by your stripes, this whole weary world is healed. We claim that here at the table this morning. And so we ask that you would fall upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we come to the table. The grant that we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion's on my right and my left up front here. If you're new with us this morning, the ushers will dismiss us row by row. We'll come up aisle by aisle up towards the center. And when you come forward, one of the servers will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, I say to you that these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
your hands, church. You're God's kids. You belong to him. You're totally safe with him. It's a good bet. Push your chips to the middle of the table. And I say over you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our ultra ministry forward to come forward. If you need prayer for anything this morning, we would love to pray with you. Remember to see us in fellowship hour. If you're new, connect with us in Connect Central. Can we give it up for Victor Mendoza leading us this morning? Thank you, Victor. We love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.